Hey, before we begin, a quick reminder that today's episode is made possible in part by the Todd and Stephanie Schnick Foundation. Find us at schnickfoundation.org. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Let's go, y'all. You are listening to The Foundation Podcast. Our goals are to help you build the foundation to live your best life, help solve problems, better serve humanity, and to become a beacon to help inspire change. We connect you with today's leaders, affecting positive and impactful global change. And now, here are your hosts, Todd and Stephanie Schnick. Good morning and welcome back to the Foundation Podcast. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Uh, Gosh, uh, we launched this show, I want to say roughly a year ago now. And to those who are uh, regular listeners, you know our goal is to shine a light on organizations that are doing important work serving mankind. And the representative from today's organization certainly is doing important work out there serving our communities and and our neighbors. So this is going to be a great conversation. The lady I'm talking to today also administers a very important program that is a backbone of the work that we do here at the foundation. So uh, I have been looking forward to this conversation and uh, excited to get rolling. So let's just jump to it. We're joined today by Emily Allen. She's a senior vice president for programs with the AARP Foundation. Emily, welcome to the show. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. Uh, it's great to have you. I appreciate you carving out some time to join us. I know you're awfully busy doing Important work, so grateful for you to swing by and and carve out a few minutes for us. Emily, we have a lot to talk about, a lot of important things to dive into. But before we do that, a little admin, let's go through some background here. So uh, before we get into the work of the AARP Foundation, talk a bit about you and your background and how you got where you are today. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, you often reflect on your career, and I feel like as I reflect on that, I would love to say that I had mapped everything out as a college student and just went on that path, but that wasn't the case. And I've had an interesting journey, and I think it's relevant to what we're going to talk about today. I actually started as a special education teacher many years ago and really focused in on the needs of young people in our communities, particularly those that were experiencing challenges in schooling and with their development. I then went on to the college setting and so was able to work with college students, particularly around research skills and things like that. Spent some time in the Bahamas, again, around special education and bringing special education services to the Bahamas. And then, interestingly enough, as we returned back to the States, I started with AERP and so took my attention from the youngest of our community into older adults. And still with a mindset on how are we helping people develop the skills and knowledge and education that they need in order to thrive in their world. And so amazingly enough, I have been with AARP, the AARP Enterprise and AARP Foundation for over 25 years now. I I still can't believe that. I still can't believe it. But the need just continues to be so, so high to help really older adults have what they need in order to thrive as they age. So it's been an interesting journey and it's been interesting to see across the age spectrum where there's commonalities across what the needs are and then where there's unique differences and how do we bring those things together 
So it's been an interesting journey for sure. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, with that background, no surprise <laughs> that you're doing the kind of work that you're doing now. And when I think about the AARP Foundation, as we record this conversation, it's March of 2021. So if we had done this one year ago, when the pandemic was just beginning to really change how humanity functions, it would have still been an impactful and important conversation. And it will be interesting over the course of our dialogue today to, to kind of see how the pandemic has affected your work and whether it's increasing your workload or there's more need. I'll be interested to hear your take on that. So on that subject, so those listening to this, most everyone is certainly familiar with AARP. In right. uh, doing some of the work that we've done through our foundation supporting the Experience Corps campaign, I learned that there's a lot of people that weren't aware of the foundation right. of that. So what I would love for you to do next is walk through the mission and purpose of the AARP Foundation and, and what that's all about. Yeah, well, thank you, Todd. And, and thank you for your support of our Experience Corps program. I know we're going to dig into that a little bit. It's such a great program and so important now. So yeah, so AARP Foundation is the charitable affiliate of the larger AARP enterprise. And in many ways, we share a common theme around making sure that people have what they need as they age, whether it's health or financial security or the important social connections. But when I think about AARP Foundation and our mission, I think perhaps a good way to describe it is when you encounter a child who's experiencing poverty, right? You learn of a child who is living in poverty. Very few people would blame the child, right? You would look at, you know, who are the people or the systems or the structures that can have failed that child? And that's why they're experiencing it. When you switch to older adults that are living in poverty, there has a tendency to not look beyond perhaps even blaming that individual. Oh, you know, you lost a job, you must have done something, or you didn't save enough, and that's why you're experiencing it. I guess how I would describe AARP Foundation is we really are looking at what are the systems, what are the structures, what are the services that just have not been in place in order to see it serve the needs of older adults who are experiencing poverty. So we really envision a country free of poverty where no older person feels vulnerable. And we do that around the mission of really looking at new solutions that really address the lack of services that may need to be in place in order to support the needs of older adults who may be experiencing these real financial challenges. So you mentioned there's some focus on health. There's focus on financial support for those that are elderly and having financial distress. You mentioned social connections. Yes. <laughs> now, I think you know that my mother is late-stage Alzheimer's, so a lot of work that we do in and around the idea or the issue of dementia. And when you talk about how do we prevent or are there things we can do to ward off things like Alzheimer's, social connection and being socially engaged and active as a senior citizen is so critically important. Uh, and so I guess where I want to go next is walk us through what are the big challenges that you're facing? I mean, there's problems out there. You've alluded to them, health and financial, social, lack of social connection, but talk more about these challenges. I mean, these are prevalent. I mean, these are serious. Isolationism, for example, um, serious problem before the pandemic. I'm sure it's 10 times now that people are locked in their homes and to stay away from the virus. I mean, just kind of give us an overview of what are the real big challenges and battles that you're fighting? 
Absolutely. No, I, I appreciate that. So I feel like I have the best job in the world in many ways because I get to work with a team of people who are really digging into those exact challenges. What we do at AARP Foundation in particular is, you know, you can create a solution that looks really cool and then hope it solves a problem. We really flip that on its head at AARP Foundation. So we really look at how we develop programs and new solutions and really dig into those biggest challenges that you're talking about. And one of the ways that we do that is really take a human-centered design approach. So we go out and we gather insights from the very people that were proposed to serve. So low-income older adults, and we're talking 50 and older. So as you might imagine, the experience of a 50 or 55-year-old is very different perhaps than an 80 or 85-year-old, but there's still need, you know, there. So really dig into those issues and discover what's happening in their lives. And so some of the key areas is obviously things like continued work. How do we help older adults get back into the workforce? We're certainly seeing that we've, we've got have a long history of operating employment and training programs for older adults in hundreds of sites across the country. What are the skills that they need? How do we help employers understand how valuable an older worker is in their workforce as part of a multi-generational workforce? So that's a big area that we focus on, helping older workers get the skills and training and connections they need to get back into the workforce. Age discrimination is alive and well, and so we address through a legal advocacy arm a lot of issues around age discrimination. So that's that's a big focus of ours. But we also look at, I guess for lack of a better term, some of the social determinants of health. Food security. We certainly saw as a result of the pandemic real acute food insecurity in this nation. But we also look at the longer term view of how we increase food security by helping older adults enroll in benefits for which they may be eligible, but they're not aware that they are. When we think of something like the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, some people may know it as food stamps or formerly food stamps. There is such under-enrollment in that program, particularly on the part of older adults. They either don't know about it, they're not sure how to apply. So AARP Foundation really focuses in on how do we help older adults access the types of things that are going to help them increase their income and provide them with some financial security as they live their lives. And so those are just a couple of areas and examples of how we develop programs in order to meet those big challenges that older adults are facing. And then you mentioned social isolation. I mean, that is just such a huge issue. Even pre-pandemic, one in five older adults were experiencing or faced or at risk of social isolation devastating consequences on health, higher mortality rates. And so how do we make sure that older adults are able to stay connected through volunteerism, through access to technology, and through just understanding how to connect back into meaningful experiences in their communities? So just hitting a few of the highlights or challenges that I know older adults are facing right now. And that's what you do with the foundation is you're responsible for administering all of these programs. We could talk for a couple hours about all these wonderful programs. Uh, if you can, give us a quick overview of some of the essentials. Sure. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. And, you know, I have an interesting portfolio. Um, I have the good fortune to lead three programs. And you, we've already mentioned Experience Corps, but that have been in our portfolio for over 50 years. 
So I think about our tax aid program, our AARP Foundation tax aid, where we have almost 35,000 volunteers out there. And it's, as you mentioned, it's March 5th here, and we are right in the midst of tax season. But that's a program that we engage, like I said, almost 35,000 volunteers to provide tax services, free tax preparation services in about 5,000 sites across the country during the tax season. And I mean, it's just an incredible program that, you know, you think of your taxes and the anxiety that comes with doing your taxes. And, you know, the way we like to frame that is it really provides that that relationship that the, the volunteer develops with the taxpayer in providing that service. It really provides peace of mind for that taxpayer at a very difficult and challenging financial time. But we serve almost 3 million people a year with that program. And it's been around, I think it's in its 53rd tax season at this point. It's just been incredible. And what I love saying about that program in particular is that it is the fourth largest tax preparation service paid or free. So right up there with the big guys, we are number four in just the scale of that program. So it's just such an incredible program. And like I said, the generosity of these thousands and thousands of volunteers is just incredible. I sort of referenced another big program that we have around our workforce program. So we have something that's called the Senior Community Service Employment Program, where again, we direct manage sites across the country that are helping low-income older adults enroll in the program, get the support services they need, get direct work experience, and then we help them navigate job search assistance and things like that and connect with employers so that they can get into permanent employment. And that's a program that you referenced that here we are a year later in the pandemic, and that's a program that we are really trying to advance because we know that so many older adults lost their jobs or were downsized as a result of businesses shutting down and things like that. And so how are we thinking about making sure that those individuals can get back into the workforce as things begin to open back up again. So just a great program. And again, another one that has been with us for over 50 years. It's just incredible. And then you reference Experience Corps as well. And, and I know we're going to dive into that a bit as well. It was interesting to hear you say that you know, the food stamp program is under underutilized. And I mentioned to you that serving caregivers of dementia families is one of the things that we've initially were focusing on. And surveying these folks saying, what do you need? There was the usual stuff like, well, I need rides to medical appointments. I need help around the house. I need some time off. But a very common request was, I need help navigating all the stuff out there. I mean, I I don't have the first clue how social security works. And there was a real concern is there's programs I probably don't know about Exactly. That could help me and help my loved one and help my family. And and so, I mean, I imagine a part of your work is also just educational and just making people aware of all the amazing things that already exist that so many people don't know about. Our foundations evolved in just trying to be a deliverer of services, more to a shine a light on those that are delivering the services, because there are some amazing organizations out there that a lot of them that people don't know about. So, I mean, that's that's got to be a part of the work, too, is just kind of pointing people in the right direction. You said peace of mind earlier. That's got to be a big piece of what you do is delivering peace of mind to people and just not only delivering services, but pointing them in the right direction, right? 
You're absolutely right. I think that particularly over the last couple of years, as we've developed some new solutions, which again, you know, is kind of part of my portfolio as we think about social entrepreneurs who are really thinking about those new innovations, kind of a unique niche for AERP Foundation in particular has been that navigation support. Uh, You take an individual who, particularly when you think about older adults, these are individuals who very often have worked all their lives, have contributed, have never needed to necessarily tap into the system. So then, you know, a life experience happens. There's a job loss or a healthcare issue, or to your point, a caregiving issue. And suddenly they're in this kind of foreign territory. One of the things that ARP Foundation tries to do is, you know, we're a trusted brand. And so people feel that they can come to us and get valuable and correct information. And so that is a big part of what we try to do. I think about some of our programs like our SNAP work where we really help people understand what the program is how to apply, in some cases, try to make it easier to apply. It is complex. Depending on the state that you're in, there could be a 20-page application process. So how do we get older adults connected with those organizations who can help them with that? You know, it can seem very daunting, particularly if you don't know what the benefit is going to be at the end. Is it worth my time if I'm only going to get X number of dollars? So we try to demystify it a bit for individuals. Another good example of that is a more recent program is our property tax aid program. Hmm. There are a lot of property tax abatement programs out there. For most older adults or many older adults, their home is their biggest asset. Some struggle to pay their property taxes. And there are millions at the federal, state, even local level tax abatement programs navigating that, I mean, I would be mystified at how to do that. And so, you know, also it's not just people who own, but also renters who can qualify for some of these. So again, looking at how we use volunteers, how we use partners, and, and what are the systems and tools that we need in place in order to help older adults navigate to those things that, you know, a few hundred dollars, a thousand dollars can make a huge difference in someone's ability to eat that month, pay for their medications and things like that. So uh, and that's yeah. even more prevalent now as we go through and recover from this pandemic. So I do, uh, as we've alluded to, I do want to spend some time talking about Experience sure. Corps, which is a program near and dear to our heart. Our, our foundation <laughs> focuses on four main buckets. Two of those are senior issues in and around Alzheimer's and dementia because of my mother and the literacy. And so somehow I stumbled upon the Experience Core program, which frankly for us kills two birds with one stone. So uh, <laughs> the way I generally describe it to folks is AARP Foundation said, we got to come up with some way to help seniors get out of the house, which solves that isolationism issue, do something meaningful, which is important to their emotional well-being and physical well-being, gets them active, gets them doing something important, in some extent provides a little stipend, gets them out there doing some good, and solves a really critical need in every community, which is uh, we have too many children that struggle to read, which negatively impacts the balance of their life if they never recover from that. And so this program is such an amazing program. And so we got involved in that, oh, I want to say well over a year ago now. But the idea being that seniors are recruited, trained, equipped, 
with materials and there's management process in terms of helping guide them and all the support. Then they get placed in these elementary schools and become these loving mentor tutors of these kids who are struggling to read. And it's such an amazing program. Obviously, now that you've kind of overheard a rough description of it, you understand how the pandemic completely disrupt that with closing schools and then seniors being at risk. They, they really can't go out in the school. So the program is obviously evolving, which is what I really want to get into a bit today. But what did I miss? Go over kind of the key tenets of Experience Core, and then let's talk about how the pandemic is altering the program. Absolutely. Well, you did just perfect there. That was a perfect description. It formed a number of years ago, actually not within AARP. It was actually developed by Encore.org uh, group and then went off on its own as a separate entity and then actually came into the AARP enterprise, oh, about eight years ago, I guess it was. So it's it's been part of AARP Foundation since then. But it is such a unique model, and particularly at the time that it was developed about 15 or 20 years ago, where it really was that dual outcome approach. It was the outcome for the older adult volunteer to feel engaged and valued and connected back into the community, giving back in a meaningful way. And then again, looking at those student outcomes, recognizing that for students who were not on grade level reading by third grade, the long-term impact on that child and that, that student and that individual over a life course, lower graduation rates, higher incarceration rates, lower reading levels, obviously, lower income because of job opportunities or lack thereof. So it was a really unique model that brought those two things together. And that is at the heart of Experience Core. It's really still looking at those dual outcomes. But then we also have to think about even the community outcomes, because you're absolutely right. It is really a program that puts that volunteer in the schools as a support to the teachers even. And I think probably another key component of it is you think about the tutoring relationship that's established. But you said it, it's that mentor, it's that friend, it's that perhaps that grandmother or that grandfather that is kind of missing in a, in a child's life. And I think it's the whole package that makes Experience Course so special. So we're fortunate, you work in my great colleague, Greg Brown, that I know you know so well, and our branch in Chicago. We actually, interestingly enough, have four branches of Experience Course. So we have Chicago, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, and then Philadelphia. But then we have a great affiliate network. So we work with other organizations to carry out the Experience Core model in another, you know, 20 plus locations across the country. So it's a great model where we direct manage some sites, kind of our company owned stores, if you will. Right, right. Um, but then we work with an affiliate network to implement and scale the program more nationwide. So it's just, it's really an incredible program. You mentioned being able to go to an experience course school and visit. I've done the same, talking with the volunteers, talking with the students. I remember I was observing a tutoring session. This was obviously before the pandemic. And after it was over, I went over to the volunteer and I said, oh, thank you so much for what you're doing. And she looked up and she said, no, thank you just for the experience that she's been able to have. So it's an incredible program. And we continue to look at, since it, you know, it, it's with ARP Foundation now, we definitely want to continue to concentrate on the student outcomes, but we're equally balancing what else can we be doing for the volunteers 
And that certainly was pronounced when the pandemic hit. And we needed to really help the volunteers think about how we were pivoting to a more virtual environment. Well, so then that's where this thing's evolving to, obviously. What I understand from my conversations, and you can correct me or update me, is that ultimately when appropriate and when safe, you will continue to have volunteers, these mentor tutors placed into schools again. But there's probably going to be some element that will always remain virtual and remote. And that's part of the investment that's going on now. And one of the things that we'll be helping support is the obvious that some of these seniors don't have or don't know what the heck to do about how do I get wireless or Wi-Fi in my home, you know, or, or these kids maybe now have the right laptops or even the seniors maybe don't have the right technology, you know, so how do we get a Chromebook in their hands and all that? So what I didn't think about, but now realize is this probably also now enables you to reach out and touch people that before you couldn't access because they couldn't get to a school or your seniors couldn't get to these students in a face-to-face. So it actually affords some opportunity to maybe reach out and touch some people that we might not otherwise have been able to do, which is actually quite intriguing. So the way I understand it is that going forward, Mm -hmm. certainly while we're still slowly coming out of this pandemic, that there'll be more virtual components to this, but that will probably remain a part of this thing going forward. Am I understanding that correctly? You hit the nail on the head. And, you know, it's interesting as I look across the programmatic portfolio that, that AARP Foundation has, there is a silver lining of the pandemic. You know, we always have, I'm a glasses half full kind of gal, you know, and there is a silver lining really across a number of our programs, Experience Corps being one of them. We had one predominant model of an in-person model, either in school or after school in, in after school programs, but it was very much in person. It was the sitting across the desk from each other. With the implementation of a more virtual model, we do see it as an incredible opportunity. I absolutely agree. Yes, one of these days, you know, when safe, volunteers will be back in schools. But I think just how the school systems have been able to evolve with virtual and how we've been able to prepare our volunteers to be more virtual, I think we're going to be able to recruit and engage volunteers who may not think about going into the school, but may be able to do it from wherever. And we're not even bound by geography then at that point. Someone from, you know, New York could be tutoring a a student in Phoenix. You know, you never know. We've seen that even with our uh, tax aid model, Um, as, as I talked about earlier with that program. We had one predominant model of service delivery, and that was in person sitting across the desk. We now have eight different models because of the need to go virtual, everything from virtual self-assisted or self-directed to kind of modified in person. So what the pandemic has enabled us to do is really innovate from within (laughs) and think about, again, not only what technologies need to be in place, that's a very important component, but how do we ready ourselves and our programs for taking advantage of all that that can you know be derived from going virtual so absolutely that's exactly the direction you hit the nail on the head so pre-pandemic there was a local school it was a low-income school it was a a dual language school on chicago's west side and the building was roughly 125 years old it was a really really neat neat structure and on this tour the, the reason that this school was on the radar was is that they cared enough about their students 
to bring you guys in to minister this program. And I, I can't recall now the amount of kids. It was like 40, 50 kids that were being served in this particular school. And they had had some real financial distress. And so they couldn't afford to run the program there anymore. And so they were looking for help. And that was one of the reasons, uh, long story short, that we kind of came in and helped sponsor. Uh, you guys weren't going to let them go, but it gave us a neat story to tell to raise additional support to support that school. But that's what's so great about it. you know. And it's so easy to get lost and just focus on these kids and the lives that you're changing in the family. And let's just think about these kids. We're talking low income here. We're not talking about uh, prep school kids. Uh, right. You know, and we're talking about children that, that desperately need the help. And, and at home, I mean, we, you know, the most important thing you can do for your child at home is to read to them at night. Well, if they have two parents at home, they may have two parents at home that are working multiple jobs to put food on the table. And so they're not sitting there with free time in their hands to read to their kids. And so the other thing that was so moving to me about seeing these these tutor mentors kind of in action was it, you, you hit it, you saw me shake my head or nod my head is that it, it was like they were sitting with their grandmother. Yeah. And first bunch of time we spend with them is not about learning to read or going through not exercises. Not. It's just letting them kind of talk. Mm-hmm. And are they stressed about anything? Do they have anything on their mind that they're upset about? Because we all know that if students worried about if they're hungry, if they're worried about dad getting a job, if they're worried about tensions at home, they're not focusing on learning. They're not focusing on worrying about reading, you know. So the outlet that these tutor mentors kind of provided to kind of get the kid a chance to vent a little bit, then, boy, the tension releases and the mind relaxes, and then they can kind of get into the reading process. And so, I mean, that, to me, that's almost invaluable, you know. And then to flip it back to the to the volunteer, the senior citizen volunteer, we talked earlier about how important social connection is. And boy, is this just not money shot and on providing that connection for these seniors. It's probably fair to say that, you know, a fair percentage of these volunteers were probably retired educators. So this was a chance for them to continue their avocation, you know, I mean, so it's just, I mean, it's, it's such the perfect program. It's hard not to just, I mean, everyone I told, everyone I reached out to to support and help me raise money to do this. The good news is a lot of them didn't know about it and they were really excited about it. And so it's the kind of program that I think everyone can get behind and get really excited about because it just has so much benefit. It really does. And I think you're so right. It's that relationship that's formed. And we've done other studies that look at the impact of that relationship on social and emotional well-being for the students. And, you know, I, I, I'm still, I, and I, I could get teared up, you know, when the pandemic hit, and of course it was March, obviously, and the, the volunteers were still in the school, and we were having to make some decisions about pulling volunteers out of the school for their safety and well-being. And so there was, a, you know, we kept hearing from the volunteers that they totally understood the need to do that. But there was no closure for them in the relationship. And so usually there's kind of closure at the end of the school year and I'll see you next year and all those kind of things. Well, none of that happened. So there's some amazing examples of videos that the volunteers did for their students where they were holding up signs saying, keep reading and, you know, I'll see you soon and things like that. And it just you know, it shows you how important those relationships were, certainly to the students, but to the volunteers as well. How important 
that meaningful impact that they were having on students' lives and that relationship is really irreplaceable. And so, you know, where we have, we, we have replaced that in a virtual environment, but I know there are so many that are will be really excited to return to the schools and return to seeing their students on a regular basis. But it does have impact and it has impact. We've done studies also on how the program has improved brain health for the older adult volunteer. You spoke earlier about Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that. And and it does, in fact, have impact. Those meaningful engagements have impact on brain health and well-being as you age. And so I encourage people to, you know, whether it's Experience Corps or some other way in which you get involved in the in your community, highly encourage it. Um, there's lots of ways to get involved. Well, we don't have time for it today, but uh, there is extensive <laughs> data that you guys have collected showing the real benefit of this program. This isn't just some pie in the sky program. Oh, I hope this works. I hope this helps kids. Uh, there's, there's real numbers. There's real numbers behind the impact that it's having. So uh, if, if anyone listening wants to kind of understand more of, of, of how it actually works, uh, there's plenty of information to be found there. I would probably not be doing my duty if I didn't give you a minute to just kind of go a little bit more in depth on how this is transitioning virtually in terms of the ability to get Chromebooks or Wi-Fi packages and all that. Can you kind of talk quickly a bit about how that's actually shaping up? Sure. Yeah. Well, first, we thought about going virtual. And, you know, this was certainly top of mind for everybody. On on the news every day, you would kind of hear about how schools were beginning to adapt. And one thing that, you know, we first we had to tackle, again, you know, you're talking, we're in, you know, 25 plus communities across the country, multiple school systems. Every school system was using a different platform. And so one of the things we had to do is just make sure that we could create a consistent experience for the volunteers so they weren't having to adapt to all of these different platforms and things like that. So that was one thing we had to get into place. But you're right, we, we did have to and we continue to have to look at how do we deploy technology. And so you mentioned Chromebooks. That was one way that we did that. We did a, an analysis of technology needs amongst our volunteers, um, you know, some 3,000 volunteers out there and then deployed technology where we needed to and continue to need, well, the need will continue to be there to, de- to deploy technology. Access to wireless, I mean, both for our students from home, you know, you've seen these images of students sitting outside of Starbucks trying to tap into the you know, Wi-Fi, because to your point, you know, these are students that perhaps don't have those types of resources at home. We're lucky I'm sitting here with full systems in place. Um, that's not the experience of a lot of our students. And so the need continues to be there and, and will continue until things, you know, get, quote unquote, get back to normal, you know, if they ever fully get back to normal. So, yeah, the need is still there. We continue to kind of assess the needs of our students, our schools, our volunteers, and our partners, most importantly, too, on what their needs are so that we can ensure that this critically important program is there for the students who are already engaged, but then how are we thinking about expanding the reach of the program as well to new communities that are have historically experienced a lot of challenges? Well, and that's where I wanted to go next. My final question uh, centered around Experience Corps. Uh, you mentioned Greg Brown, the director of the Chicago branch yeah. of Experience Corps. And I remember he and I standing 
in front of his map on the wall of greater Chicago. <laughs> I, I've seen that map. I've and seen that And all map. the, all the pushpins and all the schools. And it was exciting to see how many schools were involved, but it was also daunting to see how much opportunity there Absolutely. remains. So on that subject, to those listening who say, wow, I want to get involved in this as a volunteer and be one of the mentor tutors. And if I'm the principal of a school saying, whoa, I I want to plug into this, especially now that I know that they're adapting to this virtual model. So how do you get involved in this thing? How do you get plugged in, whether you're a, a volunteer or whether you're a school? I think the easiest thing to do, I mean, obviously, if an experience core um, program is in your area, then certainly can reach out directly to the program branch. You can also come to aarpfoundation.org. We would have a listing of, you know, by state where the program is operating, whether we operate it directly or through an affiliate program, and we can help get you connected. So I would just, you know, easiest thing is just to go to aarpfoundation.org. And both for if you're interested in volunteering or if you're interested in connecting in some other way to the program, whether it be Experience Corps or some of our other programs as well. Outstanding. So, all right, well, let's shift, uh, let's <laughs> go up a few thousand feet in altitude and again, kind of look over your broad portfolio of all the things that you do. AARP is one of those organizations that everyone wants to be a member of, but they don't want to admit that they're a member of it. <laughs> These programs aren't solely funded just from the membership dues of the AARP members. I mean, there's there's a need. All these great programs don't just happen out of thin air. People and time and resources go into to these wonderful programs. And so let's talk about that side of it in terms of how you guys support this work, how those listening can. I mean, obviously, we're a partner with you guys, and we have uh, love what we're doing and, and being a part of this and so proud to be a support of that particular program, Experience Corps, but there's a lot of other needs and other other things that people can do and get behind. Uh, so let's talk about that for a minute. How can people support the important work that you're doing? And, and is it just individuals? Can organizations, can corporates get by and talk about all that? Absolutely. No, thank you for the, the opportunity. Yeah, so we have foundation in our name, but we are not, you know, kind of the typically endowed foundation. We do have support from AERP, but we really do rely on the generosity of individual givers and donors, which we are so fortunate, um, be they AARP members or not, that we have a great, great group of individuals that have supported our work over the, the many years. We do um, have private foundations that support our work. We have corporate foundations that support our work. And then we do get, uh, you know, federal grants as well. So when we think about our tax aid program, we have grants from the IRS or from the Department of Labor if we think about our workforce programs. But whether you're interested in, in supporting the work financially or like we've talked about as a volunteer, our human resources are, are some of our most important. And yes, we have staff. But again, when I think about our, our tax aid program, we have about 15 headquarters staff and 35,000 volunteers. 35,000. So we, we clearly need volunteers to be engaged in our work. We can't do it without them. And, you know, even when I think about our Experience Corps volunteers, 3,000 out there that are supporting our students. So, yeah, there's so many ways. Again, you know, go to aarpfoundation.org. 
there's ways to, you know, we really focus in on addressing senior poverty and all of the root causes of that. So if you're interested in supporting women getting back into the workforce or individuals who are trying to be entrepreneurs or like I said, focusing in on helping people have the important social connections they need. There are ways to get involved both as a supporter, financial supporter, and as a volunteer. You know, in terms of talking about getting engaged in social connection, there's really two ways to do it through you guys. One is you can be a recipient of the program and, the, and a beneficiary of the program, or you can help administer. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, right. I mean, you can volunteer for all these great programs and, and achieve a lot of the benefit of the social connection by getting back out there and, and serving uh, and volunteering. So, I mean, there's that, you look at it that way too, you know, God bless my wife and I, only, only she and I would launch our own foundation <laughs> right in the throes of a, of a, of a global pandemic. And so that's afforded some, some real challenges in terms of trying to get this thing off the ground, but it's also afforded some amazing opportunity in terms of there being some real need that we yeah. could help facilitate. Uh, one of the things uh, you mentioned, silver lining with the pandemic, I'm hoping that with our little dinky foundation and the few people that we've been able to inspire, uh, it, it, I, I'm, one of our goals is to inspire people to kind of get out there and, and stop watching Netflix and, and do some good things uh, and, and try to provide a, a vehicle to do that. I'm hoping that one of the results of this, of this pandemic is that people become more philanthropically oriented. One of our goals is to inspire action from people that, that, that and maybe just they want to do some good, but don't really know how to do it. Any, any thoughts, any guidance uh, on how we can inspire more people to get, to get out there and do some good? It doesn't have to be necessarily supporting our organizations, but, right. but just doing some general good. Any thoughts? Uh, no, I think that's such an important point, Todd. And I think, again, as we think about the pandemic at a, a year ago, I remember really my phone kind of ringing off the hook, if you will because it hit home for people what people were experiencing. If they were fortunate enough to be able to work remotely or have plenty of food in the cabinet or whatever, what they were realizing is that there were older adults, as an example, who were completely socially isolated and actually almost starving in their apartments, you know. And so really looking at that acute need and that really spurred people to say, I want to give back. I either want to support your organization, I want to support another organization, or I want to kind of self-organize and deliver food to my senior neighbor who has nobody else to help. So I think it has kind of ignited a little bit of a, a, an interest in giving back to community. And, you know, we're, we're in this time where we not only have the pandemic we're, we're dealing with, but we're looking at things through that equity lens and making sure that the most disadvantaged communities and those that have really experienced systemic racism and discrimination are provided for or have what they need in order to thrive. And so it really, it's exciting to see kind of this movement of wanting to give back and step outside yourself. And, you know, I think you've laid out kind of what you all focus on. You know, we, we have what we focus on, but I guess my advice is just to tap into what are you passionate about? If it's children, if it's older adults, if it's animals, if it's whatever. And there are so many ways to give back in your community and join us in really not just serving a person, but, but really 
achieving the impact and the outcomes, and you can transform lives by doing so. You may think it's small, but that meal that you deliver to that senior not could small have been life-saving. Yeah, could have been life-saving. So. Well, what we're going back to our work with the Experience Corps program, what was most encouraging for me was when we went out there and asked for support, help us sponsor this school, mm-hmm. I had uh, a handful of folks say, well, all right, well, I know you want to get out of the gate with your new foundation and do and have a success story. So I, I'm willing to help you support this Chicago school. But going forward, I want to talk to you about how I can do this for a school in my town. Sure. And so when I heard that more than once, I thought, oh, okay, there's this potential with this that, that maybe we can inspire people to kind of do what I'm doing all over the country and support a school in their community. So that gave me a, a lot of hope that there's real potential, even with this simple program, because it's easy to understand. It's easy to get behind. So anyway, great stuff. Gosh, we, uh, we need hours to really get into everything <laughs> that, that we could talk about here, Emily. Uh, and I don't want to, I, I would rather you get back to work and continue to doing <laughs> all this great work. So I'm going to let you go. But well, again, one last time for all those listening, where can they go to get information about all these wonderful programs from the AARP Foundation? where they can go to financially support them, where they can go and volunteer. Walk us through all that again, please. Absolutely, yeah. The easiest place is to go to aarpfoundation.org. There's a list of all of our programs, where they operate, and how you can get involved in your community. We talk about you know programs and all that AARP Foundation does as a nationwide organization. It all happens in community, you know, so there are there are ways to get involved in your community, either directly with us or through some of our partners to really make a difference in the lives of older adults who need us right now. You know, these are our our parents, our siblings, our former coaches, our former teachers, and they need us right now. And so just encourage people to go to aarpfoundation.org, learn a little bit more about the issues, and we can get you connected to places where you can help. Emily Allen, Senior Vice President of Programs for the AARP Foundation. Emily, a real pleasure to have you. Thanks again for stopping by and giving us a few minutes today. Uh, Really appreciate uh, your important work. Oh, well, thank you, Todd. We appreciate your support as well. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you for tuning in and listening. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next time on the Foundation Podcast. We'll see you then. The Foundation Podcast is produced by Intrepid Media and is made possible in part by the Todd and Stephanie Schnick Foundation. Learn more by visiting schnickfoundation.org. And thank you for listening. Now, get out there and do some good, and we'll see you next time. 